Asia Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. All groups of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning, good morning. It's just gone past one uh, one minute past nine o'clock and my name is Pierre Morrow and I'm all by myself here this morning uh, directing and um, producing and talking about for Asia Pacific Currents brought to you every week by Australia Asia Workerlings. And before I get into the show, thanks very much to any for another interesting program of Solidarity Breakfast. And the song that you were listening, I was actually enjoying that one, was uh, by The Cruel Sea called This Is Not The Way Home. Um, anyway, hopefully I'm not going to tell you the way home myself, but you'll certainly hear lots of uh, good labour updates about the Asia-Pacific region and other news. And uh, in the second half of the program, we'll be, um, I was fortunate to catch up uh, earlier this week with Herlambang Wiratraman, who is the director at the Centre of Human Rights Law Studies uh, at, in, uh, in Indonesia, and um, in, in Surabaya, Indonesia. And um, we talked about the state of human rights in Indonesia, and especially some of the structural and systemic impediments that... Um, uh, basically getting in the way of working class working class people to get justice, whether on current issues or issues um, going back uh, well into the Suharto dictatorship 20 to 40 years ago. But we'll probably hear that around um, quarter past nine o'clock. But um, before I get into the uh, news uh, uh, analysis, just to let you know, if you're interested in this program that uh, goes to every um, week on uh, 3CR Radio, your favourite community radio station here in Melbourne and around the world, I, I presume. If you want to contact uh, AWL, you can go to our website, uh, all the w's.aawl.org.au. You can go to Facebook, just Australia Asia Workerlings, or you can always give us a ring on if you're in, um, in Australia or internationally as well. If you just get the code on um, 966372777. So there's lots of ways you can contact us. I think you can contact us on Twitter as well, but I actually don't do Twitter. So sorry about that. Um, now, before I get on to the news item, I, as you can hear that Giselle's not here, so I'm actually doing the show by myself. So I was actually... Uh, directed to make sure I play this very quick announcement before we start. Time now for Piers Weather Report, according to personal feelings and observations, and definitely not based on any science. Spoken by C. Benito and definitely not endorsed by the Bureau of Meteorology. Well, I hope that made you happy, Giselle. And yes, the weather report, it's very cloudy out there, uh, starting to get windy and quite cool. And I think we're going to have a very, very cool week uh, and a bit wet for the first week of uh, spring. But anyway, so that's it. Um, I'll have a hard ride back home against the wind. But um, getting back, uh, getting well, not getting back, getting right into the, the, the news updates for this week. We go to um, to South Korea, where in an unprecedented move, journalists from South Korea's public broadcasters KBS and NBC have overwhelmingly vote, voted to go on a general strike from the 4th of September over management issues. 
The um, workers at both media outlet, outlets are demanding the resignation of management and directors, whom they accuse of undermining the fairness and credibility of public broadcasting through the actions. This strike can be seen as a continuation of the recent mass public protest against corruption that have uh, already claimed the country's president, Park Yun-hee, and the chairman of the country's biggest corporation, Samsung's Lee uh, Ye. Uh, Jay Yong. And um, we now go just slightly further south to Thailand, where again in, um, in another important um, development, in a far-reaching judgment, the Supreme Court of Thailand this week dismissed murder charges against former Prime Minister Abhisit uh, Vejajiva and former Deputy Prime Minister Suthep uh, Thugsuban. These charges arose from the crackdown by the military against protesters in 2010, where almost 100 people were killed and around 2,000 injured through the actions of the military. Now, in the same week that the current military dictator Prayut Chan-ocha stated that he's not liable for any consequences of his actions while he's the military dictator in power in Thailand, a previous Prime Minister, Yingluck Shinawatra, was forced to flee as she was about to be jailed for alleged economic incompetence. So basically a law for the victors and a law for the losers. And in a related um, event, the ILAW, a human rights organisation, has documented the increasing use of the sedition law by the military junta against opponents since taking power in 2014. And of course, this goes hand in hand with um, the use of the Les Majest law in, in Thailand. This is James Henry here, and you're listening to 3CR, 8.55am, and digital streaming on 3cr.org.au. That's right, we always, uh, you can always hear good stories here on 3CR Radio. Now, just um, moving um, uh, just closer to Australia for the time being, there's been uh, very positive, well, positive developments in the in the Philippines uh, relatively. That um, last week there was the biggest public show of opposition to the murderous war on drugs that President Duterte of the Philippines has unleashed. Uh, when more than a thousand people uh, demonstrated opposition to the continued uh, killings by staging a protest in the streets. The spark for this demonstration was the latest murder of a child by police, this time 17-year-old Kian de los Santos, but it allowed many other victims' families to come out to demand justice and an end to these mass killings. The working class communities have had to endure death squads now for the last year and um, an estimated 10,000 people have been murdered by these marauding death squads in the Philippines in the last year. So the situation is, um, as we've brought to you before on, on this program, is, is very grave. It's, it's abysmal, really. Uh, words can't really describe it, but... I think it's 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 great in one sense that finally there's uh, uh, organisation uh, are starting to um, to protest against these mass killings, and we do hope that uh, all those people who are who are guilty of these murders will get brought to justice. 
in a um, in a story that uh, we sort of broke uh, very late last week, and we said I think there's some positive developments, and it relates to India and to the Angan the Anganwadi health workers that we brought you an interview as well. Um, this week, tens of thousands of striking rural health workers won a promise from the Indian government that their salaries will increase by over ninety percent, so almost a doubling, which is uh, they're fantastic. It's a great victory. And uh, this led to spontaneous celebrations in the streets of New Delhi. But due to uh, previous broken promises from the government, the Anganawadi Workers and Helpers Union has stated they will not end the strike. The AWHU is seeking proof that the promise of a wage increase is legally valid, as well as confirmation that wages owed will be paid in full. Now, workers in a related sector, the social health activists, are also starting to organise to demand better wages and conditions. And that's, um, look, that's a fantastic outcome. Um, I certainly um, recommend people to go on our uh, website. There's already some uh, news items about the Anganwanadi health workers and just look some of the, of the pictures and videos from those uh, demonstrations. Hey, this is Nick Rimpinyar. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. In another um, news uh, update that... uh, um, shows that uh, justice can be won for for workers. The owner of Rana Plaza, Sohel Rana, the building that collapsed in 2013, killing over 1,100 garment workers, was this week sentenced to three years jail for corruption for hiding his his wealth from authorities. Now, Sohel is still facing many other charges, including multiple counts of murder for that collapse of Rana Plaza. Now, obviously, this sentence is the first step in the right direction for all the victims and families that continue to suffer the consequences of that fateful day in April 2013. The garment sector in Bangladesh, unfortunately, is characterised by low wages, harsh work conditions and repression of labour organising all issues that led to that uh, in a huge um, industrial disaster. We go now to West Asia, to Iran, where for the 27th IUF World Congress, the, um, one of the Global Union Federation, the Haftapes Sugarcane Workers Syndicate has called on all workers and labour organisations to condemn the continued violation of workers' rights in Iran and, uh, and persecution and arrest of its members. The Haftapa sugarcane workers have a proud history of fighting for their rights and have recently come under direct attack from their employer and the government. These Iranian workers call, call on all workers to stand together to push back against the attacks by employers, capitalist corporations and their governments. Now, organising internationally and taking coordinated action across country would be the most effective way to defend our movement globally. And just more news on uh, Iran. Again, uh, you know, you've got to take, all, take your head off to some of our comrades uh, internationally. The, the level of struggle is um, incredible. And I refer now to someone we've uh, often talked about, Reza Shahabi, 
who is um, who was a labor activist with the Syndicate of Workers of Tehran and Suburbs Bus Company. He's been put in, in jail again. His uh, I think his sentence overall was six to seven years. He's um, he's been on a hunger strike since the 9th of August, so he's been there three weeks. And uh, we've had news from the family and his comrade that his health is um, is deteriorating. So uh, this is a very um, concerning concerning news. And there are um, there will be a um, a link to our page to see what you can you can do. But certainly you can always also look up the International Alliance in support of workers and Iran that uh, often uh, put out these statements and do a great job at uh, supporting um, workers in, uh, in, in Iran. And uh, there are the um, labor activists in jail as, as well. So um, that's very in- important to support our comrades there. Hi, it's Paul Kelly here. Hi, this is Shane Howard here, asking you to support 3CR. Independent radio station, encouraging independent music and independent thought. They've been supporting musicians for more than 30 years, so let's support them. A couple of um, other news uh, announcements just to finish off this section. Uh, We go to Australia now where this week the death of Gregory Dunn, an 88-year-old Aboriginal man in northern Australia. Um, He died just days before he was going to tell his story to the courts about how his wages he had earned working as a stockman had been stolen from him. His case is part of of a landmark class action by 3,500 Australian Aboriginals who are fighting the state government of Queensland for the wages that are owed over decades of of work. And obviously what we're talking about is we are talking about the stolen wages, the issue of the stolen wages, which is a long-running dispute and is another example of the systematic dispossession and exploitation of Aboriginal people that have in, they have to have had endured since Australia was colonised in 1788 and where people say this country uh, was uh, developed, was opened up on the back of the sheep, what they really mean was that this country was built, developed and opened up on the back of slave labour of Aboriginal people who worked as a stockman and domestic helper and in other um, areas basically unpaid for well over a hundred years. So this is an ongoing scandal that we, as a working class, need to um, repair and and actually end once and for all. And that last item is a public uh, news announcement. Just to I will repeat it before the end of the of the of the program. As you know, the, the Australian federal government is again attempting to. Um, to force uh, refugees to basically leave this this country in the most cruel way, but basically taking away all their support. Anyway, there is a rally uh, this um, today at midday uh, on the steps of Parliament House, uh, corner of Spring and Burke Street, Melbourne. So it's today at, at noon outside Parliament House. That's all that we have for the news updates for the region. We'll go to a quick uh, community uh, announcement and then we'll be back with our main interview on human rights in Indonesia. 
3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. It's just on 16 past 9 o'clock here on 3CR Radio. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. As I, um, as I mentioned um, at the start of the program, this week I was very fortunate to, um, to be able to talk to Helambang Wira Trantman, who is the director of the Centre of Human Rights Law Studies in uh, Surabaya, Indonesia, about the state of human rights in Indonesia and some of the systemic and structural problems that working class communities face. Indonesia is seen as a country that's got elections and democracy. But in reality, what is the state of human rights for working class communities in Indonesia at the moment? Talking about the human rights situation in Indonesia, would be important to see the role of the state in uh, responding human rights uh, itself especially in resolving cases. First is about past human rights abuses to an extent the state responds to that uh, issue. And secondly, how the state's response in responding, especially uh, look at the issue of freedom and also how to fulfill and protect human rights for uh, marginalized people like small farmers, labor, fisher folks uh, in the country. So... For the first one, I think so far I've seen that uh, the government took a position to not uh, resolve a problem, especially dealing with uh, human rights, uh, past human rights abuses, by making like uh, impunity circuit and would make a detrimental situation for the victim and uh, victims of family, and it will be uh, going too far from from the justice. And secondly, in relation to how the state's uh, response to the uh, marginalized people, for instance, like to labor and small farmers, we could see that actually the government start uh, with a good things, for instance, like a basic curing uh, social security in the sector of health and also for labor. But uh, the fact in practical situation, the labor should organize themselves in order to achieve their aim or their, 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 the government service in order to get access for that. And for small farmers, I think although the government decided to have a program agrarian reform in the context of uh, Jokowi's presidency, but then still in reality, it seems like providing access for people to have land, but on the other hand, while the capital owner also are facilitated by the government and also dispossess uh, the the people at, at the ground. So that seems to me that the policy seems contradictory to one to another. 
We'll get to the issue of the small farmers and some of the labour issues and the human rights in practice in a second. But I just want to go back to a comment that you made at the start about resolving or even addressing human rights abuses in the past in Indonesia. Why do you think there is such a reticence from the government in Indonesia to address some of the human rights abuses in the last 10, 30, 40 years in Indonesia? The first reason, the government has no strategic concept in dealing with how to end the impunity. Secondly, it is uneasy for the current president since uh, he is uh, surrounded by those who are considered as uh, human rights violators. So how come we can relay the problem to be solved by those who really related to uh, human rights violation? And the third one, the legal system, I mean judicial system itself, did not provide uh, access for the uh, victim to get access to, for instance, like uh, compensation and so on, because of the process itself, it seems like uh, making uh, impunity. For instance, like after the National Human Rights Commission sent the investigation process, initial pro-justitia process, and send, send the document to the Attorney General, but then Attorney General returned the document to National Human Rights Commission for many times without considering the victims of violence who are really becoming a victim for multi multiplying violation because of uh, waiting the process in uncertain situations. So are you saying that the judicial and the structural systems of government are very much uh, in favour of the ones who have abused human rights? Yes, precisely correct, because the establishment, for instance, like National Harmony Council, that Dewan Kerukunan Nasional, in order to solve or to or to seek the way to resolve the problem of past human rights abuses, actually the way to silence uh, the victim, the way to do not un- unravel those who are actually responsible for violation in the past. From what you have just said, for the marginalized communities in Indonesia and you know the ones that you've had dealings with, whether they're in the urban or in the rural areas, what is the access to justice that they have? Do they even believe they can have access to justice? They use their power themselves in order to get access. For labor, for instance, they establish uh, sort of like union or association uh, specifically in order to to monitor the access for uh, security, social security, for instance, that uh, government provided. But uh, then it takes process in order to get access by uh, looking at the actual situation, for instance, like uh, negotiating with the hospital management, negotiating with the government, or asking media to report a particular case, and so on. So it takes a lot of effort and energy 
in order to get access, although it is possible, but it's long road to access of justice. This is also happened for the small farmers when uh, in the past, especially during authoritarian regime of Suharto, their land were removed uh, or uh, expropriated by the regime, uh, and then the regime gave to the state-owned corporation or private uh, corporation. And then what happened after Suharto uh, stepped down, they reclaimed the land. But those who, I mean, the, the small farmers, after reclaiming the land, the government did not recognize that till present. So it means that almost tw- uh, 20 years, the land dispute in Indonesia had been disregarded as a process of uh, justice to get uh, access to land. So that's really amazed for me because considering the government has a specific pro- program on agrarian reform, but on the other hand, it seemed to me that the government do not want to recognize those disputed land. From what you say, there are obviously very powerful interests within the government institutions that do not want to redress past abuses, past injustices, regardless of what the law says now. That's right, that's right. It, it's quite complicated since uh, Djokovic perhaps has a, a position to solve the human rights uh, problem, but then it will be uneasy for him to solve by himself since, uh, as I said, that he, he is uh, surrounded by those who are really uh, closely related to violent actors. Secondly, after the demise of Suharto in 1998, it was uh, the change of governance systems from centralized to decentralized. And it means not uh, the transferring of uh, or shifting of authority, but also shifting of power from central, from Jakarta to local. And it means also the transfer of capital, which are really influencing to the context of local elites, which they had vested interest in order to maintain uh, status quo at the local context. So it means that for the people, it is uneasy to seek justice either at local or at national level, because they they would face multiple levels and also barriers in order to get uh, justice or to get human rights protection from uh, various actors in the government. So that will be serious barriers for them. So where do you see the human rights movement in Indonesia going in the next few years if there are such barriers in front of uh, implementing even some of the laws that are already there? We've seen that initiatives from the people in connection to other civil society and also the group of people at uh, academia. We have uh, a numerous research centers and also uh, non-governmental organizations and also uh, labor movement, labor union who can hand in hand uh, together to build uh, the power uh, in order to push a policy which respect to the people. And also, I could say that although the small farmers has, have uh, also strong 
uh, movement but still need to be improved in order to make a stronger position especially aware with the class movement that they could not struggle by themselves but also need to collaborate with other actors or uh, aliens which are really at a similar situation as a victim from the structural system which are not in favor for them and here uh, unfortunately after the authoritarian regime fell down we've seen that many human rights actors actually involved within the government but they could not do something more uh, progressively in protecting the people that is really unsurprisingly because the system itself something that detrimental for the people and they could not do something more to step to stop or prevent for instance like a license for exploiting uh, natural resources because it would affect to the people and so on so that's really real situation that we are facing and it is uneasy for the coming year for a building movement Thank you very much, uh, Herr Lambang. That's um, a very good uh, explanation, overview of what's happening in the human rights situation in Indonesia. And we'll certainly keep abreast of what's happening uh, in this very important country. And uh, we wish you all the best in your work as a human rights um, activist. Thank you very much, Ashwin. And uh, you were listening to an interview with Helen Bang Wira Trantman, who is the director at the Center of Human Rights Law Studies in Surabaya, Indonesia, about the state of uh, human rights in Indonesia. And we've really come to the end of the program. Just we've, um, we've just got a few seconds. Just a very quick announcement again: Rally for Refugee Rights today at midday, twelve noon. Steps of Parliament House, corner of Spring and Burke Streets in Melbourne. Um, again, um, uh, the government is trying to uh, repress and throw refugees out and basically into the streets and out into danger again. So um, go there um, this afternoon, midday at Parliament House to um, rally for refugee rights. But that's all that we've got uh, for you today. You've been listening to Asia Pacific Currents brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links. My name is Pierre Morrow. We'll be back with more news from the labour movement from in the Asia Pacific region. But um, stay, uh, keep listening to 3CR Radio for Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.